What is the Xbox expansion pass? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, hello. Greetings. I am 343 Guilty Spark, monitor of Installation 04. Greetings to all of you reclaimers here on Xbox Expansion Pass. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Tim DeDabo. Yes, this is my real voice. And yes, I would be there, but you blew me out of the sky. Congratulations on this, man. This is momentous. Almost 100 episodes of this. I can't believe it. Oh, I remember when I was 100, so very, very long ago. <laughs> Xbox Expansion. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 100 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, September 19th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we look back to 100 episodes of XCP gaming coverage. We'll discuss the latest GeForce Now data breach, revealing some potentially new titles to hit the gaming verse. And in the back half of this episode, we welcome voice actor Kritzia Bios on to discuss her work on games like Halo and Cyberpunk, all the way through to Spider-Man and Gotham Knights. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XCP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness extend not only to the past gaming week, but to the last 100 episodes all the way back to the very beginning, the genesis of XCP. Before a single episode was published, there were three people who took distinct efforts, took their time, their patience, and their kindness to help me out in getting this show off the ground. The first, of course, I must thank Mr. Joseph Moran, Mr. Badbit of the Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast, for giving me any number of times words of encouragement, words of counsel, plenty of suggestions, some of which I took, some of which I did indeed ignore. Uh, Joseph was so helpful in helping me motivate, stay motivated as I got through the, the basic logistics of setting up uh, a decent microphone and publishing my first episode, how to title episodes. To this day, I still can't make a thumbnail properly or with his skill, but he offers suggestions every time I need them, and it is always appreciated. So cheers to you, Joseph. Thank you so much for your guidance. The second person we must thank is Mr. Antonio Guillen. He is a member of the Megadads community, a content creator in his own right, and a man who personifies cringe whenever I watch some of those videos that he does. Oh my gosh, he is one of the funniest people, and I cannot thank him enough for the countless numbers of times I could email him with a question about art or how to correct an audio error, things like that. And within an hour, he was getting back to me, helping me out, putting down whatever he was working on. Antonio was uh, absolutely essential to making XEP happen in its early days, and I'm grateful for that. And the last person is the man whose art and music you are consistently hearing and seeing here on the Xbox Expansion Pass, even now 100 episodes later. And that's Mr. Adam Leonard. 
Adam took the time to put his entire efforts into the original XEP logo and the refresh that I asked him to do. The audio that you hear is his. He does such a good job uh, with different types of opening tunes and jingles when it comes to podcasts, and his work here on XEP is some that I am uh, most proud of him for, and it makes me proud to share the show with other people, knowing that I have that quality there in the show. If nothing else is quality, at the very least, the theme song is, and I appreciate you, Adam Leonard. So to you three gentlemen, I thank you so much for helping me get XEP started way back in August of 2019. To do a solo show is not in, at all a solo show. To do a solo show and recording means that you have any number of people helping you behind the scenes and you three gentlemen are absolutely at the peak of that list. I also must give a very special and patient shout-out to my wife, who never listens to this show, does not listen to this show, but it's important that I acknowledge her willingness to sacrifice me every every Sunday for a few hours. Maybe she likes that I disappear for a bit uh, to let me go record, and and she's just wonderfully supportive. I'm so proud of her and all the things she accomplishes in life. Uh, and so, so yeah, there you go. Those are my words of kindness for this week. Strap in, guys. We've got lots to talk about. XCP reflections, GeForce data breaches. Let's rock. In the spirit of reflections, it is awesome to think back to just how far XCP has come since its starting point. Now, the original episode of XCP debuted first on October 7th, 2019. I often attribute the beginning of this show to debuting in August of 2019, but in fact, the first public episode took place on October 7th, 2019, and it was titled Xbox Expansion Pass Episode 1, Marvel's Avengers and Narrative Directions. Now, this was well before Avengers had come out. It was the talk of the town, of course. This was well before we even knew the names of the Xbox Series S and X before that infamous podcast, or the infamous uh, meme, I should say, of Xbox getting the Series S leaked and then just kind of doing that uh, awkward look forward and back there. Back in the first episode of XEP, I was even listing a link to my Mixer channel, if you remember that back in the day. Goodness gracious, XEP pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, Mixer was still alive. We hadn't yet had the Xbox Series X uh, and S reveal. I mean, it had come just such a long way. We had seen previously in that year that Square Enix was going to be making a Marvel's Avengers game, and our minds were running rampant, and here we are now. I'm one of the six or seven people that absolutely love that game, knowing full well that it is not what we once wanted it to be. Uh, Episode 2 has an all-that-more-interesting title. That was PlayStation 5 and Stadia Announcements Push Scarlet. Push Project Scarlet. Remember when we called it Project Scarlet? I really like that name, Scarlet, for sure. But, uh, man, we were getting lots of discussions about AA games, Ghostbusters Remastered back then, and XEP was uh, a labor of love. It was very difficult in the early weeks and early months of XEP because I had a very different approach to how I was going about recording, the types of notes I was taking. I've always taken notes for XEP, but the way that I put them together uh, at the time was, was a bit more difficult than it is now. I used to... Uh, scour the internet for every little detail and make sure I had every single thing ready to go. And I would try to read it as if I was a radio announcer. That included, during the first 10 or so episodes, I would go back in and edit out times where I said, um, or uh, 
things like that. And it made the show feel very robotic, at least in my own reflection. It didn't feel as natural. Similarly, a good podcaster, a good person on the microphone, in my opinion, very much will work to self-edit those particular things. However, it can be very useful to have an uh or an um here and there to show that you're contemplating and being reflective on whatever topic you're discussing. But those first 10 episodes, man, I, I, I have not gone back to listen to them. I have to imagine they are rough, uh, at least in, in many respects. But they were very much a labor of love. I didn't understand titling. I uh, certainly did not understand, oh goodness, thumbnails. I still don't. However, I was doing little video clips with different segments of the show as, as audio highlights that would go out on Twitter with the episode. And I liked doing that. I still I wish I would still do that, honestly. Um, but it was just too much time to go and segment out different things that I liked from an interview or different things that I had said that were worthwhile. And I don't think people were hearing them as much as I would have wanted. I would I would get... I guess a couple hundred engagements on it, but nobody was really listening to those audio clips. And so it didn't become worth the amount of time invested for it uh, to to keep doing, despite the fact that I thought it was a really good thing. And so I, I wish that, you know, in, in a different world, if I, if I was still had the time, I would actually go in and edit and splice those little mini clips to help promote the show. But uh, it just wasn't a worthwhile reality of it for sure. Uh, but those opening months were fun, man. Jedi Fallen Order was coming out. Amazon was becoming a gaming contender with Luna, at least so we thought. Uh, Project Scarlet was kind of going through its naming conventions. We were on our way to the Game Awards, where we would see uh, Senua's Saga, which was incredible. That was episode 11, I think, where we, we saw Senua's Saga at the Game Awards. We were all going nuts. We learned about the Xbox Series X. Uh, and goodness gracious, how cool was it to see you know, Resident Evil 3 remaster coming on the tails of Resident Evil 2 remaster. Uh, it, it was neat, man. It was a different time in gaming. And it's funny because looking back at early episodes of XCP, the problems in life that I was facing then are very different than now. I'm much more stable in my marriage. It was a young marriage at the time. We had just gotten married uh, a couple months prior. I don't mean like young marriage and like we, we were young. I just mean like it was early on in our marriage. And uh, I, we, we were finding our footing. It was awesome. We were in a new house. I remember the early days of XCP having to arrange my gaming room, my, what is now just my room that I, that I kind of do my work or gaming out of. Uh, it was trying to get the internet to, to fit up here, having to nest the house and hardwire different things. It was just a process because it was a new home. And, you know, here, here we are now, which, which is, I think, kind of nuts. The first episode that included a guest was Edward Rowe from Sparklight, Red Blue Games. They made the Sparklight game. That was episode six, which I think is pretty crazy. That episode debuted on November 11th, 2019. And that's where XEP started to take its first round into what I was hoping it would be, which is a solo show discussing the gaming news in which I would periodically bring on people from around the gaming industry at a ratio of one to three. I wanted every three episodes to include an interview from a developer, an actor, a director, somewhere along those lines, someone involved with the gaming sphere. And now if you look out 100 episodes, it has been become more of a, a one to two ratio, 53 of the 100 episodes at this point have included interviews from around the gaming industry, which I think is really cool, but it does not remain my goal. If I can't maintain that pace or cadence for any number of reasons, uh, then you know I'm fine if it backs off to one out of three. But for 53 of the 100 episodes to include interviews, 
I'm really proud of that. I think it's really, really cool. And uh, I remember one of the questions that Famous Seamus wrote in for this week. It, it was the question that, you know, what are some of the interviews that stand out to you? What do you think you have had a favorite interview so far? And uh, I understand why he's asking that, wouldn't anybody, right? But it's hard to pick just one. But I do have a couple standouts in my mind, which I think are really cool. Um, Andrea Renee remains somebody that I very much look up to in the gaming sphere. She doesn't know me from Adam, but she was great and well enough to come on uh, way back in. Let's see, when when was Andrea Renee's episode? I think it was it was in the early, yeah, episode 26, which came out on uh, April 6th, 2020. Um, very, that was very early in the pandemic, actually. Andrea Renee came on and she talked about the Resident Evil 3 review. We talked about Bleeding Edge. We talked about what's good games and how the Series X didn't yet have a price point. That remains a standout interview in my mind because I have such respect for the work that she has done. Uh, later on, I talked to Zach Weigel of Gamers Outreach discussing some of the good work that the Gamers Outreach does as far as getting games to kids in hospitals. That's an interview that I've kind of held near and dear to my heart, which I think is really, really neat. Um, Stu Grubbs came on twice to talk about Lightstream, which is a really cool streaming service. Back when I was into streaming uh, from console, they do a lot of digital cloud-based overlays. That was really fun. I suppose the biggest interview, though, might be perhaps Ryan McCaffrey, you could argue, uh, of IGN, given his service to the Xbox community over the years. Biggest in terms of, like, uh, Xbox-specific stuff would be would be Ryan McCaffrey, but I take a lot of pride in that interview for sure. Andrew and, and Ryan both stand out to me. Sissy Jones was another one that I am just so grateful for. She actually helped me connect with this episode's interview with Kritzia Bajos, uh, Bajos because it, it it's it's about building relationships with people and getting to stay in touch with some of these people, which is really neat. Um, you could argue that that some of the bigger games that I've had for interviews are Ori in the Will of the Wisps, Twelve Minutes. I'm scrolling through here. Call of the Sea, that was an Xbox uh, exclusive, which was really cool. Um, Shelby Young was a voice actor for like games like Wolfenstein. Uh, Rihanna Manuel stands out big in my mind. She was just she is a wonderful human being, was kind enough to come on the show. Jeff Kanata as well. Um, a recent episode with Jay Lynn of the Games Online and Harassment Hotline was very enlightening. Uh, I think I learned a lot, and it, it's one of those times where when you have on people that force you to reflect on who you are as a human being and in the gaming space, I think that's really, really cool. Um, a, a fun one for me was to have on Malik Prince, who was at the time a program manager for Xbox. And um, without a doubt, it, it warmed my heart because I got to meet Malik when we were at E3 in 2019, Sean Capri and I. And he was just such a warm and kind individual. And because he works for Xbox, they... They're very strict, I guess, for for the United States Xbox proper about who they speak to. And to this date, despite having wonderful connections with EA or Xbox Canada with Sean Capri, I am not Canadian, and thus those connections uh, don't connect me to anything anymore. Well, it's very hard to break into Xbox PR proper. And so to find someone that was willing to come on like Malik and be just, just warm-hearted and discuss uh, being a person of color in gaming, the work that he does at Xbox, to talk about his, his love and passion for the video game industry, that was a very special thing for me, and I really appreciated that. Um, numbers-wise, we've had Jeff Grubb on twice, and he has he brought big numbers to the episodes that he was in because you know he was dropping little tidbits of news. I think we... We talked about EA's, uh, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, before that was public. He told some of that here on XEP, which was dope. 
Uh, some of the voice actors that stood out were David Bateson. David Bateson was really cool to get to have him on as Agent 47 and hear how he enveloped the character. I think that was really fun. So, famous Sheamus, it's a good question. My favorite interview. Um, I don't know that, that any of that is, is a favorite because it really depends on the context of what I'm talking about. But uh, those are some standouts for me. There are plenty more. Next week, we're going to have Ben Rivers, Benjamin Rivers. Come on. He's a developer as well. He was on one of the earliest of episode, episodes of XCP. He was our second guest, actually, when Worse Than Death was coming to Xbox. And uh, he came and talked about horror games and development there. That was episode 10, I believe it was. I, th- I want to say that. He's going to be joining me now in post 100, which I'm really excited about. Ben's just such an awesome dude. I got to meet him from the Player One community. And talk about an honor was to have the Gents from Player One podcast on the show uh, because I listen to them every week. They have such you know embedded roots in working in Electronic Gaming Monthly back in the day and still working in and around the gaming industry. That's a cool feeling to know that people like that are willing to spend some time with you in an industry where a lot of episodes and podcasts are clickbaity and very t- entitled specifically. And I think my numbers suffer because I won't do that or don't do that, I, say, I should say. So to have people take note is really, really cool. Um, I could go on and talk about really every single guest uh, for sure and just like what they brought to the show, but it's really neat to see people willing to come on and put their time in uh, for a smaller Xbox show that's run by one person. I'm always appreciative of that. Um, In that same vein, I guess we can keep going with Famous Seamus' question because he asked about my dream interviews apart from (laughs) <laughs> he says, apart from uh, Aaron Greenberg and Phil Spencer, that's probably every Xbox podcast show. Um, I want to talk to Sarah Bond from Xbox. Now, I realize that might kind of fall into that same category of what you mean, but let me give a, a bit of a premise. Sarah Bond is somebody who I'm immensely impressed and, and proud to have observed, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, I have no nothing to do with her accomplishments, but it's really cool for me to see... Um, a well-spoken, educated woman of color in gaming that I can show off to my students, my young girls in my classes that I teach that are interested in video games themselves to get to talk to them about like, no, you can do this. You can work in this way. You can work in this industry. And here's an example of it. It, That's a really cool thing for me. And to get to pick her brain about um, the pressures that might come with that by becoming uh, someone who who is supposed to fit that mold as a part from just being who she is, she's now going to fall into these different categories to be uh, showcased in some ways, to be on different showcases and still be a mother and still be uh, uh, somebody who, who's knowledgeable. Every single time I've heard her speak, she's extremely knowledgeable and passionate about her craft amidst all of the pressures that come with, with, with um, working at such a high-level intensity job. I would love to pick her brain about that um, so that I could pass that knowledge on to more of my students. That would be a really fun interview. And that's the angle that I would take it. It wouldn't just be, what games are coming out and what do you love about games? It would be far more in-depth than that. So that's a dream interview of, of mine for sure. Um, I think back, and it's not so much one person, but I would love to talk to somebody within 343 uh, I mean, Joseph Staten is a standout. I've had the chance to meet him, but not interview him. To talk about his journey through games from writing books in Halo, working on the original Halos, but then having to to leave and do different things like 
uh, help games ship that are struggling. It was his involvement with Crackdown 3 that allowed that game to ship. Same with, oh, I, I'm so embarrassed that I forget his name, but but he worked with Joseph Staten on Crackdown 3, getting the game out after it was in such a disarray. And now we see him every single time there's a showcase about Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, just one of the coolest dudes. I, I'm so embarrassed that I forget his name, but but talking to those two about their careers would be lovely. And again, for those of you that have have been with me this whole time, I think you'll find that I, in interviews, I try to avoid the simple generic questions as much as possible because it's very easy to do that. And I want our interviews to be unique in some ways. Um, and so I think I would approach it in that respect that if anybody at Xbox proper ever does uh, give me a shot to check out some of these people, I would love to investigate their careers and how they interact with uh, their community and reflect on how they've grown. Because that's the biggest thing for me is, you know, where were you and, and how did you get to where you are now? Uh, that's, that's just that's, that's a lot in an industry that can be very taxing for people. So yeah, Sarah Bond and Joseph Staten, famous Seamus, would, would stand above the rest. And then, I mean, I could I would talk to anybody that is willing to, to explain their their positions in games and just where they think they're they are now versus where they've come from at the beginning uh, that's what i enjoy most about discussing video games and just how far games have come looking ahead i mean i want i want desperately to talk to somebody at uh wb montreal about gotham knights i really want to do that in getting to talk to Kritzia in this interview that you're going to hear later this episode she's working on gotham knights which she didn't know was public, which I thought was funny. Uh, she didn't know that that was public. She was like, wait, how did you know that? Um, I was like, well, it says it in my research right here. And she was like, oh, all right, well, if it's public, we can talk about it. And we did. And that was really cool. But getting to talk to people that work on franchises that I love, like like Arkham or Batman, uh, like Halo, like Gears, etc. I've never talked to anybody within Gears formally in public stuff. I've had a few behind-the-scenes conversations, which is dope. But I'd love to have an actual interview. You know, that'd be fun. That would be fun. Good questions, famous Seamus. I'm going to come back to you uh, in a bit. Uh, more kind of reflections on episode 100, guys. It has been an honor to get to do this show. And because it is solo, I know it's not for everybody. And I know we've had people kind of come in and out of the XEP community uh, willing to spend some time with me each week or whatnot, or just do the download and offer iTunes reviews, etc. But it's always appreciative for those of you that do take the time. I had to make a conscious choice to avoid looking at numbers after a certain amount of uh, episodes because it was too emotionally taxing to worry about because I found that I have a lot of listeners that are that will engage with me regularly regardless of how the numbers are and that was more important to me uh, because I, get, I look at other podcast numbers unlocked and RDX and some of these gaming community ones that you know they just they just pump out thousands of listeners on the regular and it's like well I mean I I've had good episodes I've had bad episodes but I just don't have the pull I think in some cases that others do but I'm so proud of the people that consistently engage with me talk to me write in every episode I think about Todd Oxtra who has written in almost every episode I would say he's written in for approximately 90 of the 100 some odd episodes how cool is that like that to me feels very special I've met so many incredible people the seasoned gaming community is one that I've now kind of become a part of Thanks to XEP. I did not know them when XEP started, and now I'm hosting Cast Co-op with Joseph and Ainsley, who who have their own communities, and we get to do this kind of joint venture together, and so it's let me be involved in other things, and I found that in realizing those things, it, it became far more about the relationships than it ever did the numbers. Um, 
I knew Chris Johnston and Player One before XCP, but to go on the journey and hear his counsel and watch how he does things and whatnot has been really cool as well. And so it's just been fun. It's been a fun journey. Frustrating at times, but never real-world frustrating. In fact, I would argue that in the past few weeks, I've been re-reminded about just how heavy this pandemic has taken a toll. I've lost some people close to me in the last few weeks and then lost a few people early on in the pandemic. And it's those things that might initially sound very painful and dramatic to talk about, but it gives great perspective in that video games are meant to bring us joy and we should allow them to do that. And that includes not being so upset at different things like delays or if you get a bug in a game. Um, And also demanding that the people making these games that we love so much are treated well and treated fairly. My mind jumps to Activision right now, whose Call of Duty Vanguard is in open beta, and I have actively ignored it because of how they've been treating their employees. And that's been an odd thing for, as a content creator, as a podcaster in the video game space, to ignore something as juggernaut-based as Call of Duty has been interesting, um, but also a bit of a relief because it's like there's plenty to play as it is. Um, I don't know. So those are those are some XEP reflections and thoughts, guys. I'm so appreciative of those of you that have taken the journey for 100 episodes with me, of those of you who, ha- who have listened to the 53 interviews that have taken place, which is far more than I ever thought would happen. Uh, I've got more on the docket. Uh, nothing coming in next week. Ben's going to be joining us, so but I don't think of that as an interview this time so much as uh, a great co-host joining me. And we'll, we'll keep going from there. As always, if you've got people you want me to hear and talk to, talk to in the gaming space, I can do my best to reach out. And if they say yes, I'll get them on here. Email me those thoughts at insipidghost at gmail.com uh, or tweet me and I'll put them on the list and I'll reach out to them and hope that we can get uh, some more gaming voices on. And if I can't, we'll just keep going. You know, that's just how it's been. Um, some, some housekeeping on that particular front, a controller giveaway. By the way, we did a an iTunes review uh, goal and to see if people would participate in helping promote kind of episode 100. Uh, I asked people to post a, their iTunes review, the picture of their iTunes review over on my my Twitter page, which was awesome. My The RNG picked it. I put the list of names uh, out onto to a list and had RNG pick it, like an RNG generator. And Charles Jones, actually, uh, my buddy from Raleigh, uh, won the blue, the Sonic Blue Xbox Series X controller. So that's awesome, Charles. Uh, I can get that up to you soon. And I wanted to do a second prize because I do know Charles well. Um, And Scoop Jessica, you DM me, and we're going to get you uh, an Xbox One or Xbox Series X game of your choice. You DM me, and I'm going to digitally send send you a game that you would like to play. You just let me know what it is, and I will hook you up with that. Um, I am so appreciative of you guys doing those iTunes reviews. It means the world. We're two away from my goal of 75, which I'm really looking forward to. At 75, I'll try and do an Xbox Design Labs giveaway, and I'll include the same people that entered this this, uh, iTunes. I'll just keep your names on a list, and I will send you in something. Um, But if you add me some, add me, uh, if you do another iTunes review, uh, guys, and you help me get to 75, tweet it at me in the response to this week's episode going live, and I'll just make that a master list. And when I do get to 75, Design Labs controller. So that'll be kind of fun, too. All right, guys, let's get to some of this acquisition and GeForce Now talk. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout-out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Stay positive. 
play some games, most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Acquisition talk has been running rampant on social timelines, so much so that people are claiming they're muting the term acquisition season, and goodness gracious, I can understand that. Rumors have been running rampant that there was an impending acquisition by Microsoft on the scale of their Bethesda acquisition, so much so that people were worried about a monopoly. Uh, And it looks like there is absolutely nothing there in terms of that particular rumor. It originated from comicbook.com, go figure. they, they were the ones that kind of cited several tweets from different publishers and different people within and around Xbox uh, saying that that news was, was on their way or they had big things happening. And that was their source. That was that was kind of where it went. It really fell short. Um, it makes sense, of course, that we know Microsoft is looking for acquisitions. And with WB kind of being consistently shopped around Microsoft in need of superhero games to combat this Spider-Man Wolverine uh, combo they've got coming. Uh, it, people kind of wrote the narrative. It, the narrative writes itself and people ran with it, right? Like that Xbox was trying to acquire WB or something like that. Um, sure, Xbox needs a superhero game and sure, WB has Batman, but there was no evidence of this acquisition at all. In fact, it was just you know, speculative conjecture tweets that were put together in the most circumstantial of ways absolutely nothing there uh sure it's possible we hear some acquisition news at some point but the the rumors that something big was happening were were useless and it was really frustrating to watch several uh people that that would call themselves journalists or be in the journalistic space talk about how they, they heard acquisition stuff this out of the other and then you know two tweets later would, would mention that there's nothing there and we should be remember that studios have people and stuff like that it was just odd it was just mixed messaging and one of the problems of our industry at the moment is people looking to uh, bolster themselves with clicks or clickbait or, or things like that. And um, I can understand why they do it, sure. I mean, you got to have make a living, and if your living is, is working in a space that, that judges based on impressions, I can understand that for sure. Um, still, it, it was difficult to kind of navigate through what was real and what was not over the past week. That said, Todd Oxter wrote in and he said, with all the rumors of Microsoft acquisitions for more game studios, what makes sense to add to the stable that doesn't overlap with current studio capabilities? Sega or Capcom probably make the most sense, but a Japanese acquisition would be tough. Perhaps Take-Two. Um, Take-Two is the one that rotates around a lot when people talk about something on the scale of Bethesda and Monopolies. I mean, getting... Grand Theft Auto under their slate would be incredible for Microsoft, for sure. That's a Minecraft-level acquisition in a lot of ways. But I think we'd see more smoke to that fire if that were truly true. Um, I think WB is the one that makes the most sense from the outside looking in. But again, we're talking about no evidence on this one. uh, Because we know that they need a superhero-style game uh, to combat that Marvel Wolverine uh, Spider-Man type thing. I have gone on record saying they need their own superhero, but I also don't like when superheroes are exclusive, so I have mixed feelings on that. Like, I am absolutely going to be playing Spider-Man and Wolverine, you know, on my PlayStation for sure, but I'd rather play it on my Xbox, and that's just a, a preference aspect of it. I would hate for people that want to play Batman in the PlayStation space to go through that same trouble that I am. I don't think it's an apples, excuse me, an apples and oranges comparison, 
uh, per se. But, I mean, Sega is one that makes a lot of sense in some respects as far as, like, the company could use a bolster and it could use a little more guidance. Having a Japanese-rooted company like Sega would do some some favors for Microsoft as they work to kind of get their, their inroads into the Asian markets. They've been doing a lot of stuff with Korea. They've been doing a lot of stuff with xCloud. In acquiring Bethesda, they're getting Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, which is a Japanese studio, despite the fact they're making a game that I'm not overly impressed with at this point. Um, we know they're trying to get a more worldwide presence, and a Capcom would help them with that. I think about Capcom and its relationships with Sony, though, and I don't see that being realistic. Uh, I don't know that that would be a big thing there. Square would be another one that would be smart to, to pick up if they could snag Square, but Square, again, a lot of ties to the PlayStation community. Todd, at the end of the day, I just don't know enough in true insider real information on this to offer something worthwhile. WB stands out, or if they're able to, just Rocksteady or WB Montreal or NetherRealm. Any of those one studios would be a huge bolster to the quality slate that they would have in their pantheon of, of uh, developers. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. There's just not enough smoke to the fire at the moment. But shoot, I, what, a week ago or maybe two weeks ago said that I didn't see much happening at the PlayStation uh, showcase, and boom, was I wrong. So props to, to PlayStation because they had a lot of big announcements there. Mixed reactions to it, but but good, uh, a, a good set of announcements for sure. Let's go now to the GeForce Now leak. Now, this is one of those things where you've had rumors like comicbook.com, which are totally unfounded and silly and and a waste of your time, versus this GeForce Now leak, which came as a result of a data mine list of games that came from a security exposure in GeForce Now's kind of online uh, internal tracking and testing catalogs. Uh, Let's just say that NVIDIA, I'll, I'll read a little bit from an IGN article. NVIDIA has responded to a list of data-mined games, saying it was used only for internal tracking and testing, adding that some of the titles included in this leak are speculative and don't constitute confirmation nor an announcement of any game. It's not clear whether NVIDIA was testing products with a view to one day adding them onto their GeForce service or simply tech tests of some kind, but the list is no longer accessible, meaning, of course, end quote, that they have kind of patched that breach, that it's no longer uh, able to be accessed in some respects. NVIDIA's quoted response they put in a statement, NVIDIA is aware of an unauthorized published list of games with both released and or speculative titles used only for internal tracking and testing. Inclusion of this list is not confirmation of any announcement or game. NVIDIA took immediate action to remove access to it. No confidential game builds or personal information were exposed, end quote. Important to note, listeners, if you're unaware, a lot of work-from-home devs are using GeForce now to work on builds for games right now that are in development or live service games. GeForce now is one of the many cloud-based services that can give you decent speeds to test different builds. And so it would make sense that they would have internal tracking insights and kind of a back-end site for people to access and use. This list of games that they are referencing included titles that uh, you have to imagine are on their way but not formally announced games that, that are consistently cited would be Gears 6, right? does not take a rocket scientist to know that Gears of War 6 is on the way. You play Gears of War 5, you see the ending, you know how profitable Gears is and what a pillar franchise it is for Microsoft. Gears 6 is absolutely coming. But no official announcement, and it's included in this list. You could easily, if you're working at NVIDIA, put together a speculative list of games and it would include... Uh, Gear 6 on it. But there were other things on there that made sense that we know are on the way also. God of War PC, right? That makes sense. 
then there were other things that have not been announced that you have to imagine would be on their way uh, as well. Injustice 3 and Man of Steel were two that struck my interest as a big DC fan and knowing that we're about a month away from DC fandom. Injustice 3, so cool. Love that. Injustice 1 and 2, those are fantastic fighting games. They're not gobbled down the way like Marvel vs. Capcom is where I just want a Marvel fighting game. I just want my superheroes. Uh, This is just DC, right? I love that. I'm in there all day. But to see a Man of Steel title in there, oh, that was cool. That's interesting. Is that a real thing? We've talked about a Superman game for years. Is that a speculative title? Or is this? Or are they being coy with speculative terms? And these are games they actually know about that their, their people are working on builds for. Maybe it's a code name, maybe not. But, like, Man of Steel is pretty darn obvious, right? Um, so, so you have to wonder there. They also had games like Human Fall Flat 2, a Final Fantasy IX remake, which I know a lot of people would lose their minds over. And then games that don't exist yet, at least not that we know of, in Kingdom Hearts 4. So th- there's a range of just how valid these li- this list might be. But the idea of, of an Injustice 3 and a Man of Steel game, that makes my superhero mind run rampant and get excited with DC fandom around the corner. And knowing that we've heard rumors of such things uh, happening anyway. We know that NetherRealm is working on... Well, we don't know. Let me step back. Ed Boon has consistently made statements to the effect of, you can work on a Marvel and a DC game at the same time. Well, shoot, fine by me, NetherRealm. You make both of them, I'm buying both of them. Absolutely. A Man of Steel game I will lose my mind for. Just give me skins so I can play as Superman and Lois as Superman, so I can play as Brendan Rouse Superman, and my boy Henry Cavill. You know I'll lose it, guys. You know I'm just a diehard uh, DC fan. I'm in there for that. Um, Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with this. I'm inclined to, to err on the side of some of these games are absolutely unannounced and real. Um, and I don't mean Gear 6, but like Injustice 3 makes perfect sense, right? Like that is that is absolutely going to be a thing. The Final Fantasy IX remake would make sense as well. But this Kingdom Hearts 4, eh, eh. Human Fall Flat 2, eh, maybe. I don't know. There's, there's plenty more on the list. A lot of PC games for Sony fans uh, to get excited about as well. Everybody should be excited about Sony bringing games to PC. That's a good thing. Microsoft has proven time and again that bringing games to PC does not hurt them. Uh, and only a, a silly person would want to exclude more people from great games like Uncharted, from great games like God of War, Horizon, etc. I'm all about it. Bring those games to PC. I'm going to play them on my console and I'm going to have a good time. And I hope you do too wherever you enjoy it. Uh, kind of one last bit of news here before we get to listener mail. Uh, Battlefield was delayed until November 19th. Originally, Battlefield 2042 was going to be launching on October 22nd. That's been delayed into mid-November. In a press release, the, the Dice GM said, Given the scale and scope of the game, we had, our, we had hoped our teams would be back in our studios together as we moved towards launch. But with the ongoing conditions not allowing that to happen safely, and with all the hard work the teams are doing from now, we feel it important to take the extra time to deliver on the vision of Battlefield 2042 for our players, end quote. The open beta has also been removed from the timeline completely at the point of this recording. There is no mention of an open beta. Guys, this game has red flags all over. I understand the logic of delaying because you can't get back in the studio as you expected, but everything I've heard, and I'm not a standard insider, won't ever pretend to be, but I do know a few people that are working in and around this game, and it is not enough time for this game to get fixed. This reeks of the the cyberpunk delay like of like three weeks 
to fix perhaps something game breaking, but everybody that's been a part of the alpha test that I've heard on different podcasts from around the web have been like, ooh, things were not good. I got to see a little bit of footage of that, and that was real bad as well. And then, of course, the people that I talked to are 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 not confident that that three weeks is really making a difference. This is uh, my friend Ainsley Bowden over on Season Gaming's BitCast today uh, that I was listening to earlier. He mentioned that it feels like a financial delay, that they've got to get it out by a certain time to help with fiscal responsibilities in fiscal years, investors, that kind of thing. And they were able to give them three weeks, and that's pretty much it. I have no, no, how do I put this politely? I have no confidence that this game is going to be ready. Um, Much like Call of Duty, it looks like this is being rushed and broken and built in a state of work from home that was just not ready for that level of of intense development requirements while working from home. It's just not ready. And I hate that because I know my good friend Kev, he's really excited for Battlefield. I know a lot of people are excited for Battlefield um, I'm excited for it. I like the trailer, but then I saw some of the footage I saw, heard the things I heard, and I'm like, this is a bummer. I wish they would delay into January or perhaps April. February and March are too crowded with the Dying Light delay, moving it into February. There's just too many good games coming out in February. But a March release or an April release would be great for a shooter. Uh, Battlefield doesn't need to, to stack next to Halo. It doesn't need to stack next to Call of Duty. Give it some space. Give them the time to do it right. But I really hope this game does not come out on November 19th if everything that I've heard is as true as it is. Um, And I know that sucks for some of you guys that are really looking forward to Battlefield. It's a special franchise. But if we want Battlefield to come back to its glory, it needs to have time to breathe and it needs to come out in a state that doesn't have bugs and visual glitches and some of the the messes that are happening um, in its closed beta and to the Call of Duty open beta. So take that how you will. Uh, but I'm sorry to those of you who really, really wanted it. Let's get to listener mail. Listener mail. And I know so many of you guys were kind enough to write in uh, with questions for episode 100. And so many so that I'm not able to include them all. And I will bump them into next week's episode, Fear Not. This first question comes from Mr. Clint Coombs, who has been a wonderful supporter. He says, has your perspective of the gaming industry changed after this time? If so, in what way? Great question, Clint. Um, I know I have changed during the time of making XEP to do 100 episodes uh, as a solo show, to bring in guest co-hosts, to to do the interviews. My my perspective has changed. We've seen the launch of the Xbox Series S and X. We've been in work from home with the pandemic and watching how different companies communicate well and poorly, Xbox included in both of those respects. My perspective has changed in a couple ways. Uh, First, I think we are too quick to vilify gaming developers for some of the decisions that their publishers make. And oftentimes those are difficult to discern. Developers and publishers are not the same thing. Uh, And I often tend to throw my hat in support of developers, whereas I will be very critical of a publisher. In most cases, uh, Activision and EA are typically the two most vilified publishers, and I think that's justified and deserved. Similarly, both of them include some wonderful uh, studios and wonderful titles that they have produced. EA has Respawn, which has made Jedi Fallen Order and the two Titanfall games. You know, Activision has, in, in many times, created some incredible Crash games, some incredible Spyro games and remasters, and I really like those things. Similarly, you know, you've got, got Call of Duty and you've got Battlefield and Microtransactions and Ultimate Team, 
for all the sports games, and, and they're, those are really gross, right? Those are EA decisions, not necessarily the studios making those games. So I've tried to discern publisher versus developer in some of my judgments, and that has been something that I've learned all that much more is relevant as I interview developers and actors, etc. Um, I've also noticed on the podcasting side as a content creator, um, it's very difficult to get an in with some companies and very easy with others. I've talked before about how difficult it is to get Xbox proper to take notice. Uh, perhaps it's a num- numbers game for them. Many people would say it is. Many would say it's not. I think it's a lot about who you know. And in Xbox proper, um, I've had a really hard time getting them to take notice of XEP. That said, it hasn't stopped me. I still love making the show, right? When when we had connections at, with uh, Xbox Canada and other developers with, with the Xbox Drive, that was much easier. Just that they were more approachable, easier to connect with. I would imagine they also had less content creators to combat for positioning in terms of attention, right? Which makes sense as well. Um, to that same effect, I've noticed that happen with certain companies. Some are easier to work with, some are not. I found that, and this is something I would subscribe to, being polite all the time, whether you are uh, granted a, a yes to your request of an interview or code uh, ver- or a no, being polite is so helpful because those are human beings uh, working on the PR side. And I've too often seen human beings on the PR side be just lambasted and treated very terribly over decisions that are well out of their control. And that's always frustrated me uh, a lot to see happen. Uh, On occasion, I would say I've met a few PR people who are just really rude. And that is so rare and so uncommon in my experience that it's, it's not even like a blip on the radar. When that happens, I tend to think that person's having a bad day or maybe something was just misunderstood in, in translation. And I've found that the PR side of gaming is just lambasted with with question after question constantly and given a lot of mean feedback by consumers who who feel entitled when in fact their job is to promote the games and many of them just want to do that. I have built some incredible relationships with some wonderful people in PR, some friendships even, uh, and those friendships have plenty of times yielded to the answer, no, I can't do this for you, no, I can't do this for you. Um, but it didn't matter because they were making games, they were helping make games public and available, and that's awesome to me. So great question, Clint. I hope I answered it well for you. Uh, Let's go to this next question. This one comes from I Am Gamer Tempo. He says, what game would you like to see being remade? Um, Right now, as you're asking me this, uh, I'll say any of the Star Wars Rogue Squadron games. I want to see them come back as we got Knights of the Old Republic announced. We've seen Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy kind of make their way uh, back to the modern pantheon with Asper Media and whatnot. Oddly, PlayStation seems to be cutting deals for these games, and I wish Xbox would step up a little bit because I don't want any community locked out from these great classic Star Wars games. Um, I know we've got those as back compact games, which is awesome. So maybe Microsoft is saying, hey, we've got them in back compat, we don't need them. But uh, if Rogue Squadron or any of its successors come out, I absolutely want that to be remade for sure. Um, I would also say Star Fox, but that's a Nintendo's its own is its own its own thing. Let's call it that. Um, and not a specific game, I am gamer tempo, but I would love some of the old licensed games. Uh, in the superhero space to come back, whether it's Marvel Nemesis, Rise of the Imperfects, which I always want to play again. Uh, some of the old Spider-Man games, I would love to see them come back. A lot of the old, like the X-Men arcade game, that would be really cool. I want these games that are locked by licenses to make their way forward once again. 
I am Gamer Tempo also asks if Xbox launch, Xbox launches a new IP, what kind of game do you want it to be? Um, third person action narrative based single player, similar to what Sony does so well with Horizon, God of War, Ghost of Tsushima. I want Xbox to have a game in that pantheon. I think they do as a as a a slate. Microsoft does first person games very well, especially with Bethesda now under their umbrella and they've got a lot of first person shooters first person rpgs uh they've got third person action games by way of gears but that's not quite the same thing i want a narrative driven single player story that perhaps fable is that perhaps hellblade is going to be but i want something in that range just a a well-produced plenty of time give me give me a high quality game in that third person state i have found that i very much love third person games and so that is my preference if ever I have to create an IP from scratch for, for some of these questions. But good questions. I am Gamer Tempo, and I'm sitting on your other one for next week. Uh, Famous Seamus, I've already answered some of, of yours. You asked what one of the things you did ask that I haven't answered. What do you think is the show's biggest improvement from episode one? Uh, Famous Seamus, I've stopped editing out different things like ums and uhs, which I did only for like five to ten episodes. But more than that, I think I'm a little more forgiving about things like numbers or if something's not perfect because it's just not in my wheelhouse to have that super high producer quality, which to some people that they would think that's laziness. On my end, it's more of a, hey, I have this amount of, of time bandwidth and energy bandwidth to give and I feel like I'm giving it in a much more productive way, in a much more, uh, I guess you would say, I'm not draining myself to do the show. I was going to record episode 100 earlier today, and I just didn't have it. I didn't feel good. My anxiety was high. I just wasn't there. I waited. And that's the benefit of doing a solo show is just to wait, you know, a couple hours and be able to do that. So so I would say I'm a bit more relaxed than I once was. I feel like the audience that's here is is here in support for the right reasons whether they stick around for 100 more episodes or they they grow in or out of the show at different points i completely appreciate and respect that so i think i'm more comfortable with it for sure neo gamespark wrote in with three questions uh i'm gonna answer i'm gonna answer one of them he says how would you fix avengers uh game to widen its audience oh man my poor my poor xcp listeners that hear me wax poetic about avengers of late um, they did a lot right with getting War for Wakanda out there. Anybody that picks up Marvel's Avengers, you've got a good 20 hours of story superhero content, which for me is awesome. Um, the end game is broken as can be, though. I love playing it because I like being a superhero, being Iron Man, being Black Panther, being Captain America in their MCU skins, being awesome. I love that. That's what I like doing. But the end game's got a lot of issues. They need to get better exotics. Um, they need to have a cosmetic vendor that gives you reskins some of the things they try to sell in the marketplace are hideous reskins and those can be fun but nobody should be paying money for them uh they need to have an emote wheel because if we're paying money for emotes that needs to be a thing and uh crystal dynamics has finally gotten the go-ahead to have to have more developers kind of work with the game they started off with a lot of developers getting the game out there it was clearly made for series s and x and ps5 generations it was not really meant to be an xps4 or xbox one game the load times were too long but how do you ignore that install base right uh if they really want to fix the game going forward they will have more villain sectors more villains and a higher cadence to deliver um heroes are we've got nine heroes in the game they're all great 
They all play very differently. Hulk, Hulk sucks, but the rest of them are great. Um, and they play uniquely, right? Even with two Hawkeyes, they play very uniquely. That's good. Now we need more villains and more villain variety. People have often said that that game has too many robots. They've gotten away from that. In fact, there's a lot less robots in the upcoming enemies. They've got new enemy types that don't include that. The Wakandans, uh, the Wakandan, Wakandan enemies for Claw didn't have them. They're doing a good job with the game in a lot of ways, but they've got plenty of room for improvement for sure. Um, I will say to any of you that love superheroes the way I do, the game's on sale all the time. Pick it up on sale. Play the story content. Ignore the end game if that's not for you. That's that's repetitive content, and there's not a lot coming the rest of this year for anyone that's not like diehard, um, especially in the Xbox space. They made a really bad deal with Sony to to make Sony to make Spider-Man exclusive, and I'm not saying that as salty, uh, frustrated fan. I mean that like that superhero could do a lot for this game, but it's locked locking away two thirds of its player base in PC and Xbox, and that's a shame. So. Yeah, Neil Games Park, great question. I could go I could go on forever. I hope to one day be on a pod, an Avengers podcast with some content creators out there just to, to talk about all of these things. All right, guys. That's it for me. I've got a wonderful interview with Kritzi Abajos. Uh, she has been in so many different games, games like Cyberpunk, games like Miles Morales, games like Halos 4 and 5, her IMDP, IMDb page is full of wonderful titles, including Cyberpunk, and I'm very excited. Gotham Knights is in there, and we got to talk about that for a good bit. I think you will find that she is a name that you should be aware of, especially if you like some of the games that I like. Um, I'm trying to be very vague here. Uh, but but she's a name that if you look at her IMDb, Kritzia Bajos has done so many things from Tell Me Why uh, all the way through to Far Cry 6. There's a lot to be excited about uh, definitely enjoy this interview. She's got a, she's running a game studio or creating a game, I should say. She'll, we'll talk about that briefly with more to come down the line. Um, she is going to be a return guest later in 2022 as well once some of these things go public, and that's really neat also. Enjoy the interview, guys. Thank you for 100 episodes here. You have a, a, an extended episode. I'm appreciative of you guys. I love the, so many of you that have taken the time to put, make me part of your week. Have a wonderful rest of your week, guys. Enjoy the interview. Take care. Hello, Two Forks Tower. This is Sissy Jones, voice of Delilah from Firewatch, and you are listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Well, I am very fortunate today to be joined by Kritzia Bajos, voice actor extraordinaire. Kritzia, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for that intro. How are you? <laughs> I'm uh, ecstatic to have you on. I'm excited. I'm doing well. I'm ready to pick your brain about the voice acting industry uh, surrounding video games. And uh, yeah, so things are good. Good. Let's pick it. All right. Well, Chrissy, I think it would be fantastic if you would give people a little bit of background about yourself and let them know just how you got into voice acting. A little bit of background about me is I'm Cuban-American from Miami, Florida, born and raised over there. Um, I've been an actor since I was a teen and uh, got into voice acting when I moved to California. And um, didn't quite know what it was all about. I kept getting told I have a good voice for it. Didn't really know what that entailed. Um, I used to imitate my GPS voices in the car. My friends would get a kick out of it. And I was like, well, maybe there's something there. And uh, I started training 
<clears throat> and to me still to this day, that is the biggest uh, advice I could give anybody is please train. Um, because at really, even, even a, I was a seasoned on camera actor at that point, but it didn't matter. It's a, a different skill set, And oh boy, did that open the world for me. And I'm so grateful because I love this industry. I love this world so much. Um, I mean, obviously I work in it all the time. I'm, I'm now even directing games and I, um, I actually have a voiceover school now. So that's how much I love voiceover. <laughs> Man, that opens up a lot of questions. Now, listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, oof, wow. Listeners would know you from any number of games ranging from Miles Morales and Cyberpunk uh, all the way through to The Walking Dead and the Batman mm -hmm. Telltale series. But uh, I want to investigate this idea of training. What do you mm -hmm. mean by train your voice? Train your voice, but even just not so much, you know, because sometimes there's vocal training like singers do. Um, mm -hmm. But really, it's more about how to act in front of a mic. Um, uh, a lot of people think, oh, it's just reading. It takes a lot, interestingly enough, as simple as it sounds. It actually is quite challenging for people to bring their true selves to the piece, even if it's something as quote, simple, unquote, as a commercial. Uh, so a lot of people, they think voiceover has to sound a certain way. And like how I basically created my school is how I was taught by my mentor, which is how do I bring the most of me to this? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's incredibly important because people start to lose that part of themselves. So not so much vocal training, but like just understanding the scope of this work and what is needed to really bring your full self to it. Mm -hmm. um, and that opens up a whole mess of stuff. Like you bring your full self to it. Now we can layer on all these fun characters. We could layer on an announcer. We could layer on all these things, but we don't, if we don't start from a place of authenticity, especially in this day and age, um, I'm sure yourself as a gamer can see that in the vocal, uh, you know, in, the, in, in, in voice work and voice actors is when people really touch you in certain ways. You know what I'm saying? Like when they're really reaching out through that game to you and it's affecting you in some way, it's because they're really being vulnerable and real and genuine, um, through their work. And I think that that's, um, that's powerful stuff. And so gone are the days where things are a little bit more superficial. Now it's even animation, video games, especially, um, we need some real people doing real things. So if we come in thinking we're going to have a voiceover voice, you're off in the wrong planet. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's more of the training. I think it's like acting training. <laughs> There's some psychological training that comes into it because we've got to be very open, vulnerable, and honest with ourselves and, um, our skill or our, our strengths, our weaknesses, and how to bring that to the table and, and bring that to the full, um, the fullness of our work and our craft, you know? So that's kind of mm -hmm. what I would, I would consider as training. And then, of course, there's other stuff like how to, you know, learn all the fun gymnastics that your voice can do. Um, uh, but, yeah, that comes a little bit later. The foundation needs to be there. Well, you have on-camera acting work, uh, to your credit, for sure. But acting in front of a microphone, when you are in front of a microphone, is that a barrier for you in terms of, like, accessing characters or range? Or does it just uh, change the way you approach bringing your true self to form? A hundred percent changing the way I approach it. Um, you know, with the camera, we have the beauty of seeing every tiny little mu muscle move in your eyes. Um, mm -hmm. We see the relaxing of the eyelid or the tensing up of the brows, that kind of stuff that doesn't show on mic, right? So we have mm -hmm. to convey those emotions in a different way, but still being truthful. A lot of people think, oh, I've got to be bigger. Not so. You've just got to be 
very specific um, mm-hmm. and understand how to play with dynamics. Um, so I, it's just a different approach for me, but I still come from a very truthful, real place. I still ground my characters and make sure that they're not living in wacky land. They could be fun and silly and crazy, but they still have some footing in reality, even if it's a made up reality, but it's in their reality. Um, and I, I think that that's honestly why I've been successful in this place. I feel like my on-camera work has helped me, but I've been able to translate that. And I try to share that knowledge with people as well, because I just, I love it. I find it fascinating. And, um, I love, I, I get excited bringing people to that world as well, but yeah, I just changed my approach. You know, um, I got to do a little bit more with my voice instead of my facial muscle, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that I don't use my face. I don't use my body. In fact, I use a lot of my face and body when I'm voice acting. Cause it will, you will hear that through your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really fun and interesting work. <laughs> I, I very much enjoy it. When you're using your your face and body to project a character into the microphone, mm-hmm. uh, it, oftentimes I would imagine you're solo or in a booth, uh, particularly COVID-related, uh, but other times you may have actors in booths across from you. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about that experience, either being solo or with others while using your voice? Yeah, you know what? I would say that is kind of the more lonely part is not having that scene partner. It's always a massive treat. When you're able to be like a lot of times animation, you could be in group records uh, when I, you know, pre uh, pre the the great pause. Um, I did a lot of ensemble recording with my family over at the Casa Grandes or the Loud House. Um, and more recent. Well, actually, I started to do Boss Baby in the middle of the pandemic so that we never got ensemble reads with that one. But uh, yeah, that's always the most fun because you're just cracking up and laughing a bunch um, mm-hmm. and enjoying each other's presence and really uh having that, having something to react to is always a treat. Thankfully we've been conditioned, especially when you're at this level, you know, you've been conditioned to kind of like my imagination is very strong. So I'll imagine what the other person is saying or what their face looks like or what they're giving me so that I can react to them. So I have my imagination kind of on fire like that. But, um, you know, sometimes we'll get that treat. I did a, I did a game in Slovenia actually right before, I think it was October, 2019. And it was with Troy Baker, interestingly enough, and we played a husband and wife. And so they had the they had the setup record where we were actually looking at each other. There was a glass in between us with our own mics, but we were able to look at each other and have that relationship. So that was really awesome um, to be able to have that. But uh, yeah, you know, you just got to kind of, that's one of the more challenging things when people are starting out is acting a little bit in a vacuum. Sometimes you'll have projects uh, where the director will read with you when I, the game I'm directing right now, I read with my actors so that they have something to react with. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't always get that luxury. So you have to really have um, a lot of specificity and really see what's happening in the world around you so that you can react appropriately. The game you're directing right now, I just have to ask, can you talk about that? I can't. I know. Fair enough. Fair I enough. Know. No, it we is got... a very long one. It's very exciting. Um, hopefully, we're going to be done with voice recording in September. It should be having a release probably early to mid 2022, and then maybe we could talk again at that time. But it is awesome. It's I. It's a, you know, total of like 90 sessions. I work with some of the best actors in the game, and I'm super excited about that one. And it's my first directing gig, so again, a lot, a lot of great things to look forward to. Oh, that's so cool. We have to talk again because I yes. would be I would love to know how much you learned along the way. Oh my I, god, so much. Yeah. 
yeah. so much. All right, book it. We're talking in 2022 sometime. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, that'll be fun for sure. Uh, you mentioned vocal gymnastics earlier in, in uh, your answers. And in my mind, that goes from like crying to laughing and, and all the ranges of emotions. Am I on the right track or way off? No, you're totally on the right track, but it involves even more than that. Absolutely. Sometimes there's sharp turns, but even pitch wise, you know, sometimes we'll start at a whisper or there's a couple of scenes where I've had to go absolutely nuts. Do you curse mm -hmm. on this? You can, you can PG 13 because I have students that like listen. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it chill. I'll keep it chill. Not that, not that Mr. Laura would ever cuss. No, never, never. It's only his terrible actors that are on his <laughs> podcast that are awful influences on on your incredible teacher. Um, yeah, right. No, but anyways, you go bat crap crazy. How about that? Yeah, um, there you go. Uh, so yeah, it, you know, so you have to warm up, make sure your voice is in good working order. I drink a ton of water um, and just, you're doing things, you know, I went to a vocal, uh, an ENT um, and she was actually impressed with how much work that I do on, on top of directing, on top of teaching, you know, mm -hmm. you use your voice a lot. And uh, she's like, it actually should be in worse in a worse state, she's like, so you're doing a lot of things right, you know, with drinking a lot of water, resting, um, making sure that you're, you're, you're warming up and cooling down, but it can be a lot. And one of, you know, an actor's biggest fear, especially a voice actor is <laughs> losing your voice, you know, mm -hmm. um, getting sick. Uh, even if it's just a simple cold, you're out, you're out. So, um, I, you know, the health, my health and my voice health is paramount for me. So because of those vocal gymnastics that we were talking about. That, it has to mean that you change your diet uh, accordingly at various points, desserts or, or waters or things that, you know, drinking, things like that, that might dehydrate you. Um, is that something that you're conscious of in some way? A hundred percent. I'm kind of a dork, but you might like this for your students, but I don't drink. Um, it's okay. very rare that I'll have a glass of something. I would say a handful of times a year. Um, I don't drink. It's not worth it for me. I know I might sound like a, a lame Tron to a bunch of other people, but I have naturally a lot of energy and it kind of suppresses me. So I like the way that I am without it. And plus it is very damaging to my vocal cords and I can feel the strain. Um, even when I'm, you know, it's just, you have to be careful. If I know I have a long session, I probably won't go out to dinner with my friends to a loud place the day before because that's going to strain my voice, especially if there's people smoking around. I have to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to be mindful of how much sleep I'm getting and make sure that I'm not exhausted. Sometimes I have sessions because I have East Coast clients that have to start at seven in the morning. So I have to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, no, I, I am absolutely mindful of what I do, what I, what I, you know, dairy is not great for the throat. Um, so I just, uh, yeah, I'm careful about it because I'm in a really great place and I, I don't take it for granted. I've worked really hard to get to where I am right now. So I'm like, all right, it's like a, the Olympics, right? If you want to get to a certain level, you've got to make some sacrifices and you've got to treat your body. And in this case, my vocal cords and my voice, uh, you know, in athletic tip top shape. So I, I don't, I take that very seriously. From imitating GPS systems <laughs> through to, to video games and movies, uh, it, that's, that's a big jump. And then all the way to directing uh, <laughs> at a certain point. If anybody were to pull up your IMDb page, oh, they boy. would see a wide range of stuff, uh, a wide range. And I mean, all over the video game space from like the smallest little additional voices thing uh, down to uh, like mainstay characters that you would recognize. When you think about your video game career, do any roles stand out to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the first and coolest jobs I received was being the... Um, 
the voice of Akali for League of Legends. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of, first of all, crazy shoes to fill. And uh, I didn't know that like, the fandom to this day has been so awesome. It's been a great joy to be part of such an incredible franchise um, as League of Legends. And I've been in the Riot family for more. I'm in, you know, Legends of Runeterra. There's some other stuff coming out that I can't talk about, but it's really great to be in the Riot family. So I know that one was a very big uh, jump in my careers as in terms of my video game work. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really proud of that. And then, um, my goodness, you know what? Um, Luke, I'm going to take a quick look at my IMDb because I sometimes forget. Uh, That's <laughs> cool, though. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Just give me no, a second. I'm oh. looking at it right now. There's no secrets. <laughs> I'm, I'm scrolling up and down and just marveling at the, the yeah, different roles. That I'm pop trying to up. figure out what did I do? Oh, dude, a huge one was The Sims. That's one of the first things I ever did. The Sims, man, that job has been incredible. I've worked on The Sims and with EA for nine years. Coming up on, yeah, I just completed nine years this year. Um, And it's been so cool, so fun. That fandom has been incredible. I've grown a really big TikTok following because of The Sims. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I teach people some Simlish words uh, for the people that are fans. And I love the EA family. Um, Our director is incredible. The people that I work with, all the actors. Oh my God, I love them all. I learned so much. One of my first sessions, and I was a baby voice actor when I started at The Sims. And like, I got paired up with Fred Tatashore, which, if you don't know who he is, he's an incredible legend in this. Yeah, uh, from, yeah. he did Gears of War and a bunch of other stuff. Oh my gosh, right? he's done a ton. He's the voice of the Hulk. I mean, he's the craziest, incredibly talented voice actor and also the most gentle and humble human being. I love him. And so I didn't know who he was when I first started working with him. And then it was like, whoa, I'm learning a ton. So I was very fortunate to to grow alongside, you know, watching these people who are just masters at their craft. So Sims 4 will always have a special place in my heart, for sure. Um, uh, Halo, being part of the Halo franchise has been amazing. Um, you have to talk about that on an Xbox podcast. Okay. All right. Good. Because there might be some other developments that you might want to wait until a, a little bit later. Um, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm still working on um, Fallout stuff or like what's the last thing? The Wasteland stuff. That's been really fun. Um, I'm trying to see what else I've got here. There's been a really great – there's some – Okay, we do have a lot to talk about next time because there's stuff that's not out yet that I am incredibly excited about. So when that does happen, uh, I would love to chat about it with you. But Spider-Man was great too. Had a lot of fun playing, uh, you know, Camila Vasquez along with other really fun characters that you'll hear throughout that game. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I got some fun ones coming up, like I said. But those would be the most, I guess, meaningful right now that I could talk about. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, I have questions about some of those video game roles, and if they allude to future things, we can dance around it appropriately. Sure, sure. Um, one of the roles that I really enjoyed came from the Telltale Batman series. Oh, uh, yes. Playing uh, Renee Montoya, I believe, uh, was just – it was super cool. And that Telltale Batman game was a really neat take on those characters. I agree. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience doing it's not the only telltale game you've worked on even cooler by the way um, <laughs> about doing certain lines in a game where the outcome could be different on depending on player choice mm-hmm. talk to me a bit about that sure that was one some of my first games too loved working on that i thought it was very you know i have to say those kind of narrative games for me 
it's really an actor's dream because you get to go through a journey, you get to build those relationships. You you know, it, it there's choices that obviously dictate where you're going or what's happening. Um, so I very much enjoyed working on Batman and Walking Dead uh, in that kind of genre. Uh, in fact, I play. I'm recently playing the Batman one on my Switch right now. So it's nice really hearing my voice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's been great fun. In fact, I've played Renee a couple times after that. So I, I know it, they've already put it on my IMDb. So I think it's safe for me to talk about. I can't give too much, many details, but I get to play Renee again. Um, right. And Gotham Knights. So I'm super excited. It's really fun to be her in so many different uh, iterations of that story. So yeah, I'm very stoked about that. But Telltale was a great training ground. It's also one of my earlier games. Um, in fact, Gotham Knights has a very similar vibe to that. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, loved that's it. Kind of, that's kind of the angle of question that I guess is the natural follow-up. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Fred Tatashore and Troy Baker. They've played the same character in multiple versions of mm-hmm. the same character before. You're doing that with Renee Montoya. Um, Say what you can, and please feel free to say what you cannot. Uh, no, wait, don't say what you can. You know what I mean. Don't <laughs> right. say. You know what I mean. Um, <laughs> playing a different version of the same character. Do you call on your older experience with Renee, or or is this meant to be a new take? Do you get directed differently? I do uh, course, get directed. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, please. No, go for it. I do get directed differently, and um, you know, I obviously want to honor what's going on specifically in that iteration, in that specific game. Uh, but I, I love, you know, a lot of her core is the same, you know, her story is the same. Um, and I have loved playing her. I like playing, you know, tough Latinas, especially ones, you know, there's so many different kinds, you know, a lot of times, uh, Latinas get lumped into a couple of stereotypes that we've seen throughout the years, but I like that she kind of keeps things a little closer to her uh best you know like she's not super forthcoming about her emotions but she's one of those like still waters run deep kind of people so there's a Mm -hmm. lot going on beneath the surface uh so a lot of that is the same um sometimes they'll want to vary up accents so i'll just you know adjust accordingly but um i just love her vibe i love her take on things um i kind of like where she is in the story and she's uh especially you know with our heroes uh she's she wants to work with them uh, against you know the her team's better judgment or a lot of them will not she'll sometimes be the rogue cop that'll kind of be working uh, alongside them without you know her own faction knowing about it right like mm-hmm. anybody at the uh, at the precinct knowing what she's doing so uh but she's all for the greater good you know what i mean like she she wants she wants there to be harmony. Uh, and she's sometimes the only one that's doing the work that nobody else wants to because everybody else is corrupt and she doesn't allow herself to be corrupt. So um, I like that about her. She's steadfast. Um, she has integrity. Uh, and I really uh, respect and hopefully honor that to the best of my ability with my work in doing Montoya. That's cool. That's just cool. The, <laughs> the, uh, and, and I'm trying to note things that are, are of interest to me as well as uh, you know, you know, specific Xbox fans, they would they would see that you've worked on Halos four and five and mm-hmm. will wink and a nod to other aspects. But let me ask you, when you work in a franchise that that has, you know, sequels, does it make sense that you would get called for the next one? Or is it a completely new interview process to you know, depending? Like if there were to be uh, a Miles Morales two kind of thing, 
does it make sense they would call back on you for the same character? If they have the same character, usually they can bring you back unless they have a rework um, Mm -hmm. and they want to go in a different direction. But Mm -hmm. um, if they just want you to be part of the game, usually, I mean, at this point in my career, I do get some offers where they'll just, I won't audition for something. They'll just offer me. Uh, mm-hmm. a game or uh you know part of the project but i still audition quite a bit i actually really enjoy auditioning um mm-hmm. it's really fun for me to try out different characters and go into different you know people's shoes uh, it's really i very much enjoy it mm-hmm. um and i don't mind auditioning for new projects you know and especially because i feel like it's it's very earned like yes my name and where my name is at right now there's a reputation behind it which that's earned as well but yeah. i also like like hey you know Let's see if I'm the right fit. I want to show you what I got, what I can bring to the table for this. So, yeah, most of them, especially for Halo, I haven't played the same character um, mm-hmm. yet. So I did interview, uh, excuse me. Well, it's kind of like an interview, but, you know, audition sure. <laughs> two different times. That's neat. That's really yeah. cool. I, I would have to think that those types of auditions are very different than what we see on a lot of uh, actors' resumes and the idea of like additional voices or local Mm. population voices what what does that mean and what what do you get to do or do you need to do differently that's a great question and that's honestly a question that a lot of people that are wanting to get into voice acting should understand so a lot of times when we are starting out uh you know it's like when everything you start to get your feet you know a little bit deeper into the pond and your name might not be trustworthy yet, right? Especially if you're not a celebrity name and you're just breaking in, you might be a little green. You might not be totally ready, but you might get some smaller parts with additional voices. And that way they could like try out and, and use you on smaller parts that they feel like, oh, you know, uh, we can work with this, right? And the, the cool thing about additional voices is as a budding voice actor, as a beginning voice actor, you know, you, you it's, it's also known sometimes as a utility player, but you've got to have a couple voices in your back pocket because, um, Sometimes in video games, you know, an actor can play up to, especially under SAG rules, the union rules, they could play up to three different characters in the game. So, mm-hmm. of course, it's, it's you know, the company will look at that like, oh, great, uh, I could get three voices out of this character. So you will be a great use of their time and budget if you're somebody who could come in and I can play soldier number two, a pedestrian three and mom or something like these smaller parts, like, great, we could use this one actor for three parts. And that's a great way to get your foot in the door. You get to meet Mm -hmm. directors, you get to be part of a game. Um, They start to see your work and you build a reputation and then you'll get trusted with bigger roles. Um, That's honestly how I started as well. I started with additional voices. And sometimes like if you see with Miles Morales, I'll have a bigger character like Camila and then they'll have me do a couple extra voices. So it's, you're always going to do some extra voices, even if you're, um, not in every car- game that you're a bigger character, but sometimes, so I'm always prepared. I would think that versatility has to be the biggest ally yes. of a, a voice actor for sure. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. Now here's a, here's one that you don't need to confine this to your video game work. Okay. Um, but as an actor, you put yourself in a number of different roles and I would imagine that some of those roles are uncomfortable or access very uncomfortable thoughts, emotions, stereotypes, perceptions. Are there any roles that you that stand out to you that you really did not like the character? I don't mean the experience of working with a studio or anything. I mean the character and you really had to go places you didn't enjoy? Yes, I have. Um, you know, I'm a pretty open person. I will play – I don't mind playing people that um, 
on the surface might seem some way, but they're, they're more complex. I like to, you know, I'm somebody that I understand that we all have light and darkness inside of us. Um, and so I don't want to dismiss somebody because at that point of their journey, they're a little darker than most. Um, I gravitate to stuff like that too. So that I don't mind, but when it's blatant and when it's like, I could tell I, I was on a scripted podcast once and the producer did not know what he was doing. Um, the writing was, you know, and here's the thing, like with that one, you audition for something. When you audition for something, you get a tiny sliver of what you're going to do. Um, and so sometimes when you book it, like it happened to me at that job, I booked it and then the world got opened up. And then I was like, Ooh, this is not what I signed up for. And mm -hmm. at the beginning, you know, I tried to work with him, change a couple things around. There were things that were very outdated uh, with the ways that he would refer to certain Latin cultures and mm -hmm. uh, things that were in the script that I didn't agree with and I didn't feel comfortable saying. It wasn't even, I'll just put it blatantly, it just wasn't even great writing. So it wasn't something that I was like, oh, I can understand why this character will feel. No, there's just, it, there, it just wasn't done appropriately. It wasn't done right. And, sure. um, I tried, I tried to say, uh, can we change this? And I got a lot of pushback. Um, and then I just stood my ground and there were things that I said, well, I'm not saying this line. So that's that. And I didn't care if I would lose a job, which I eventually did. Um, and I was actually happy for it because I didn't want to be a part of it anyway. So that's something mm -hmm. that I'm actually grateful for getting older, being in my thirties and, um, standing my ground and not being afraid if somebody is threatening for that job to go. I'm like, that's fine. I don't need to be with you anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is not my cup of tea. So I just say, you know, listen to your instincts. Everybody has different comfort levels. And, um, you know, that's when it comes to that. But you mentioned something about comfortability. Um, like I said before, there's some parts that as a human, we are sometimes uncomfortable going there. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that kind of stuff. I'm somebody that some of, you know, my friends or my husband will be like, whoa, you love, I love asking questions. I love getting to know people and why they are, how they are or who they are. Um, I like identifying things within myself that might be uncomfortable. So I don't mind that in character work um, as long as it's done well, you know, as long as it's like a really well-written story and really thought out and it's smart. Um, I'm like, let's do it. I'm all about getting into the nitty gritty, but uh, not when it's done because uh, yeah, some people just don't know how to put it together and I'd rather not put my name on something like that. Sure. Sure. Man, there's, there's a lot to break down in that. And I think about a lot of the human rights issues that have gone through, through our news feeds in the last two mm -hmm. years alone. Yep. And as, as I think a lot of people are recognizing things like their privilege or their experiences and how they may differ from other humans around them. Um, have you noticed a change being, you know, Cuban American, have you noticed a change in the way people are perceiving, you know, Latinx actors? Uh, in the gaming industry or otherwise? Yes, very much so. Um, it's cool to see. It's cool to see like Cubans. It's funny. I, I didn't see a lot of Cuban representation on anything. And um, for the longest time, I just had to like, I, you know, I started so long ago that I was just kind of just trying to get into the league. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I didn't even think about it that deeply. I just thought that was just the way it is. Um, and so it's been really cool to see now so many different nuanced cultures coming to the foreground and to be able to play those appropriately. And, um, you know, it's fun. I, I like the Latin community because I feel like all of us, for the most part, like we're all pretty cool with playing each other's cultures, um, which I I like because, you know what, um, <laughs> we're actors. So I feel like if we get too specific 
it's going to, our work is going to be a very limited and B, I think that that negates the beauty of this artwork where you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and experiences. So obviously there's a limit to that. Um, I wouldn't play, you know, with games, sometimes you don't even know what you're going to look like till it comes out. But if it's somebody coming Mm -hmm. for an African-American experience, I'm not going to go in and uh, Mm -hmm. play a black person. So like, that's not something that I would do, but when it comes to Latin cultures, um, I don't have a problem with people as long as they're representing it well. Like I ask my friends, I ask my Mexican friends, my Brazilian friends, I, I'll ask my friends that are part of that culture to help me out, you know, and, and I'll work with it. I'll give it the, you know, the honor and the respect that it's due. And I hope for the same, you know, for my culture. Uh, but I love that about us. And, um, you know, Cubans right now, especially are in the news a lot. I don't know if they'll still be in the news as much when this comes out, but it is great to see um, kind of people getting to know what that's like. And I think that it's just the world is opening up more than ever because of the internet and because of social media. And so we're getting to see things that, you know, for better, or for worse, we couldn't, you know, see other, uh, you know, otherwise. So yeah, obviously I like having more representation. I love bringing my culture to stuff. Sometimes it's great. Like in the Casa Grandes, they did not want, they did not say that Margarita is Cuban, but I decided to make her Cuban in my audition and that's what they went for. And that's what she is now. So stuff like that always makes me super happy. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. Chrissy, how much have you grown up since you started in the voice acting industry? How different are you now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How's that for a question? Yeah. I, that is a question. And let me tell you, yes, a lot, a lot in the best way. I'm so, so, so grateful to this. Um, I mean, I do my own self-development work with my own coach, uh, you know, and and I'm all about therapy. I'm not one to hide that. I love that. I love getting to grow and develop myself more as I am in this life. You know, I I feel like Mm -hmm. there's always room for that. Um, But this business, this industry, I've had to really stand up for myself, own my space, own my voice, own my power. um, And I see the fruits of doing that. You know, I see where my work and my career has gone because of the growth that I'm willing to do in this. And so I try to hopefully inspire that in others and and help people out if they're feeling stuck, because I remember what that felt like to be stuck. I remember what that felt like to put limitations on myself, which is why I wanted to create the school. I I always loved coaching people. And then I had a friend of mine that's like, well, you should put together a class. I'm like, well, class, I don't know about that. So I tried it during the pandemic and man, that's been one of the most rewarding experiences is, uh, you know, being part of, being part of people's process, their journey, their growth. Oof, it, I leave a lot of classes very teary eyed. I'll say that. <laughs> so, funny. you know, my growth, I'm loving it. I love witnessing other people's growth. Uh, m- makes my heart happy. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant, brilliant uh, answer to a tough question oh. too. Well <laughs> done. You. Well done. Thank you. Before we wrap up, and this is kind of the closing question here. I think it sure. would be lovely if you would point people to two roles that they, they uh, from your, the early parts of your career and then two from an upcoming project that you're able to talk about, mind you, uh, that they should look forward to for finding uh, Kritzia Bajos' work. Bajos, so Bajos, Bajos, just to be clear, two projects that they should look at that I've already done and then two, two that, that you... they could look forward to? Yes, yes. <sighs> when is this going to air, Lou? Uh, late towards the end of August, early September, and I can lock it down uh, to a certain spot if you need me to. Mm, let's see how much I could say. <laughs> um, two that I love, and I know you're more video games, so I'll stick with that because I, like I said, I've loved a lot of the animation that I've done. 
and um but hmm. let's say september 6th is that september 6th is that it's a, very hard i can push they, it longer no it's okay yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they love to not tell us when things are coming out so it's very hard to pin down myself um but i'll say this um i feel like League of Legends is always something that comes out for me uh, and being part of Akali. Uh, I, I really loved my work with, with Akali. And I would say some of the more recent stuff. <laughs> mm. You're asking me to pick between my children, Luke. It's I very know. Hard. It's such a mean question, isn't it's it? It's so mean because I'm looking at all. I'm like, oh, but I love her and I love her and I love her and I love her. Um, you know what? I, I, I do really love Renee Montoya in Batman, the Telltale series. I was in season one. Um, I really loved her. I did a lot of, like, there was a lot of acting that I just was really proud of. I mean, I'll still look at that and be like, oof, that was, you know, I've, I've grown so much since then, but I'm still proud of it. You know, there's stuff I probably would do different now, but I'm still very proud of her. Interestingly enough, something you could look forward to is Gotham Knights, where I replay Renee Montoya. Um, so that I can uh, talk about because they've already put it on my IMDb. So I feel like it's fair game. Um, and this is part of animation, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm really proud of the work I've done for the final season of Boss Baby coming out next year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's my first series regular role. And I'm really very proud of it. And I just feel um, very, very lucky to be part of it uh, and grateful for it. So, yeah, lots of fun stuff and hopefully more. There's one really cool role. I'll just put it this way. Uh, it's in the superhero world i'll just say that okay. um yeah and so when that comes out i'm gonna be singing it from the mountaintops but up until now if i say something i will be in a lot of trouble but something for next time we talk luke something for next time we talk that 2022 interview is gonna have a lot of cool nuggets <laughs> yeah. uh, to talk about that project talk about how uh directing a game has gone uh what a cool career thus far and a lot to look forward to that's cool thank you yeah, you, I'm proud of it. Would you like to plug any socials uh, of any kind before we close out? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, my name is pretty weird. So I feel like if you just put Kritzia Bajos in any social media, you'll probably get the thing I <laughs> you're looking for. Um, but on Instagram, I'm Kritzer, K-R-I-T-Z-E-R -E on TikTok, which is really fun. It's my first and last name with an underscore in the middle, Kritzia underscore Bajos. Twitter, Kritzia Bajos. Facebook, Kritzia Bajos. All that fun stuff. But yeah, again. There's only one of me, so uh, you'll probably find me pretty easily. My website has everything as well, kritziabajos.com. Feel free to sniff around.